Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 117 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. We're going to skip right past how we're doing, Rob. 100% with that. Tonight is therapy night. Tonight is therapy night. And we're going to focus on thinking happy thoughts. That's right. That's right. (laughs) For all of you out there who've had to deal with the storms in the southeastern Michigan area, I feel for you. For all of you who've had to deal with storms in your life, be they, you know, monsoons or other tornadoes or effects like that, it sucks. It does. It really does. And I can't say that bad or horrible things happened to me, but I will say the last, the previous 48 hours kind of was not yeah. helpful for a- Emergency anything. tree cutting service is where we'll leave it. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's but been... the show goes on and therapy happens on Wednesdays. So, uh, yesterday actually, uh, in a little bit of, a little bit of sort of gaming related news, uh, we got the, uh, the Reaper bones miniature Kickstarter. Is this five? Uh, yeah. Reaper bones five, five Kickstarter, five. uh, things in, uh, one of our, one of our mutual, mutual friends. Yes. Uh, and I believe Patreon of the, uh, the show veteran. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, was kind enough to include us in on his Kickstarter uh, uh, donation and yeah. add in, like, tack in a bunch of extras and stuff like that. And then I had on him, almost completely forgotten what I had put in for. Yeah, believe it or not, I was actually going through, like, our, our, our Google Docs. Yeah. Um, and I was just kind of looking through, like, my yeah. recent Docs because I was trying to find um, uh, some settings for the 3D printer. Um, Sean had sent me a list of, of like, resin printer settings yeah. and stuff like that. And I noticed that there was a spreadsheet from a while ago divvying up who wanted what add-ons and yes. how, whether or not they were paid or not, you know, yep, stuff like yep. that. And I was like, oh, yeah, whatever happened to that? And it turns out it was literally shipping out, like, as I was asking that yep, question. Yep, yep. It had, it had gotten out of the container ships and were now on their way to people. And, uh, like, I had forgotten the, the minis that I had gotten for that mm-hmm. and... Honestly, looking back on I'm like, why did I order these? <laughs> what I, was the idea that I had? A year ago, me had such big plans. You know? <laughs> agreed. 100% yeah. agreed. Um, but I I, re, I I was able to find my note mm-hmm. on what the idea I had for those. And it had to do with 7C. Oh, okay. It was funny. Okay. And then, uh, actually, what was funny was the, um, uh, the Dino Warriors uh-huh. I had gotten for a specific friend who... I have threatened to run basically a D and D campaign with Dino characters. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Like uh, where where in in the 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 this all came, stemmed from me finding a uh, guy's uh, uh, he had created um, Dino races that could uh, that could then be classed in D and D, and I wanted to do a Chicken Boo campaign where all the other players were perfectly normal and it was a normal game except for one of the players was a T Rex. <laughs> And a paladin or something like that. And, like, the villain is just the villain to that guy. Right, Because right. it's just like, can't you see? He's he's a T-Rex. Now, no, please, please. He murdered Squire Salmon. Now, that that is just not true. <laughs> <laughs> it was a misunderstanding, and I think it was a gentleman's duel. He's he bit big his... head and little arms. I know that's body shaming. You know? <laughs> that's right. we, don't, we don't do that in this court. You know, <laughs> people's physical appearances. Come on. You know. And then someone knocks the slight helm that is on top of his head, clearly not covering the resume. Oh, my Lord, he actually is a T-Rex. <laughs> you know? That could be really cute. But, uh, yeah, and then, like, 
goes through like nine different iterations of himself, multi-classes and everything, because he has to keep changing his class, because obviously people figure out who he is. So like, mm-hmm. you know, he's a wizard next and a cleric next after that. <laughs> just keeps sneaking back into the Rogue group. never worked, you know? Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> but o- always the same guy. Always the same guy trying mm-hmm. to stop them, you know? The antagonist, so. Uh, I, uh, uh, I, I actually had some miraculous planning ahead, uh, on my part because, mm-hmm. uh, I got, uh, a handful of cat warriors, which are obviously Khajiit for me. No, I think that was great. And, uh, a big damn dragon. A big damn dragon. And, uh, as it turns out, one of our party members, uh, decides that he's, he's biding his time for now. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's not marching off to his demise. He understands he needs a little prep, a little yep. growth, yep. a little time to arm himself up. Yep. But he's going to punch that thing in the nose. He is going to try. And last night. <laughs> I got I got the model like all the mold lines filed off of it and stuff like that and it was literally so big I had to fit it in a one gallon uh, Ziploc bag. Oh my lord! That like you put chicken in, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, I wrote on it the slumbering inferno <laughs> under contents with a sharpie, <laughs> and I took a picture of it and I sent it to him and he just sent me back like a big heart emoji. <laughs> That's love. That's yep. love. And and I got my one of mine for my campaign. Um, that I'm going to be using and, uh, uh, actually out of a, uh, Asian themed, uh, set. Yeah. I, some of those, some of those miniatures were really yeah. impressive. The, yo- the yokai. Yeah. And I, I've never really done that, but after we started talking about, uh, Legend of the Five Rings, mm-hmm. um, and I, I was thinking like, how can I incorporate that? And I and do like a seventh C thing. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, maybe I'll just do Legend of the Five Rings or maybe I'll do something in between. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, so yeah, so I've got, uh, I've got a whole, like, uh, I had a, I have a whole design for a campaign around spiritual characters, characters oh. who are the spirits of things. Oh, very cool, very cool. So, a little, like yeah. spir- spirited away meets uh, meets seven C. Uh... Yeah, okay. I, 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 but all animal spirits. Yeah, Everyone's yeah. an animal spirit. I and gotcha. Basically, you guys will get to choose which spirit animal you are. But mm-hmm. once you're that spirit, you have to embody it because you have a life. You've had a life before it, and you're incarnated into it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you still have the memories of your previous life that sometimes come into form. Gotcha. That then implies where the plot goes from there beyond your spirit life. Not bad, so, not bad. Yeah. Speaking of 7C, what did you think of that 36-inch long galleon that they have? I I was excited to a level that I could not show. <laughs> like, I had had such a bad time and my emotions were in such a burned out state that I stared at it and I was excited. Mm-hmm. Like. I, I want to put that in something. I want to have a fight on that deck. Oh, yeah. You know, or between the decks in the, in the subfloor. Like, it was, is epic. We we almost wondered if it was if it was too big to be practical. But no. it th- See, and th- this is the part that gets me. Uh-huh. When you look at something like that and you say, this is for ship-to-ship combat, and it is no different than if you put down a battle map. Yeah. It's just, it's just a battle map. That's yeah. all it is. Yeah, yeah. So once you look at it that way, you're like, it's one battle map piece of terrain. Mm-hmm. You're fighting on a mountaintop. You're fighting on the back of a dragon. You're fighting. Oh on yeah, a ship. it's yeah. it's a set piece. It's yeah. a set piece in and of itself. Oh, yeah. and it's definitely a you know huge memorable battle and stuff like that. So yeah, but plus in the way that uh, our friend wants to use it is that it is the centerpiece to a game that is about the ship, and it's like you're just gonna have that in the middle of the board at all freaking times yeah to remind you where the hell you are uh-huh. you know uh-huh so yeah I, I I could totally see that getting used in in a in what's funny is you can do it in a very small firefly like setting mm-hmm. where 95 percent of the stuff happens in or around that boat oh yeah yeah and still have an unbelievable campaign yeah yeah 
Yeah, I could see. I could definitely see it. Yeah. So, uh, you want to get into our topic today? Yes. Uh, so we are talking today about making life like NPCs. Uh, yes. NPCs are the the very much the lifeblood of 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 our tabletop experience. You know, very much so. Um, the the world is just kind of a cold, dead place without you know other people to populate it. And what's funny was, uh, did you see the uh, I will say spoof, not spoof Xbox uh, oh, NPC awards uh, that they're doing, uh, which was hosted by Ryan Reynolds. Uh, you sent me the link to it, but I did yeah. not get around to watching. So it. they, they it, it was funny that they're doing that, and then today we're doing the show. It had nothing to do with each other, but I just thought it was funny that they were doing like the NPC awards. Oh, okay, okay. And uh, and they picked, uh, they had four different NPCs, and uh, I thought it was fun either way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, and of course his character from the movie, who's an NPC. Oh, uh, uh, um. Free guy, free guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Guy is the is one of them, and the first thing was he has to be disqualified, unless that game gets created. He's not really an NPC. Mm-hmm. He's he's a character he's in a, a movie. PC. He no no he's a he's an extra because he's uh, in a movie. Okay, okay, okay. So okay. you know, I'm I'm sorry. That's that's not an actual video game that anybody can legitimately play. Ryan, true, can't true. happen. Can't happen. Sorry, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Anywho, um, uh, so when we're talking about making life like NPCs, yeah. um, you know, we always, we always, we always want to start these off with a definition. So, uh, I mean, life like NPC kind of it's kind of self-explanatory, but I think yeah. we're talking about you know someone making someone more than a background character. I mean, sometimes when you um, have NPCs, you're just like, okay, you guys go to the store, and the store guy, you know, and, and you're buying from the store guy, and un- unless there's interaction, it's it's just an, it's it's something you're doing between the storyteller and the players. But the moment that they walk into a store. Or walk into a bar and there are physical people there. Now you have a chance for interaction. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and you know, I, I think we we'll want to clarify too. Like you don't, we'll say right from the get go. Like the the stuff that we're going to be talking about today, you don't have to do full backgrounds and personality quirks and stuff like that for literally everyone. Like that would get so overwhelming so quick. Uh, but you know, having your 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 key people, maybe a recurring shopkeeper. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's a if it's a, a a town that they frequent or something like that. Um, you know, or maybe it's just if you haven't done something like that in a while, just making the next NPC they meet just a little more memorable. Yeah, I've also found that like, um, I feel like a lot of this feeling started when uh, followers were a thing in D anD D, because you had. A character that wasn't played by one of the players that now was going to be there with them as they went on with things, you know. It's it's Sir Robin's minstrels, mm-hmm. you know. It's it's Patsy, you know. Uh, if you're familiar with Monty Python, you know. It's these characters um, that that fill in the gaps sometimes of humor or guidance or things like that yeah. within the stories. You know, I mean, I I like to say that they make the world feel more lived in. You know, because mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's very easy to to you know kind of get uh, stuck in that like uh, uh, you know the the, the hero conceit, mm-hmm. um, and that's like a whole other show in and of itself. I think we've got it on the schedule. Uh, yeah, it's definitely coming up. So. Um, but uh, but but the hero conceit of that you know the, the 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 PCs are the only real people actually doing anything that affects the world. You know, right? And your NPCs can be a big, um, a big deciding factor in whether or not. You know the game feels that way. Mm-hmm. Um, making your making your NPCs very lifelike and giving them a lot of personality and stuff like that can make it feel like there are other people and that your PCs are just 
people in a big wide world full of interesting colorful people right rather than the only interesting people in the entire place and everybody else is a cardboard cutout and uh, the other thing that that goes along with that is it also can help fit out fill out the theme and feel of the world around them mm-hmm. whether it's um whether it's dark whether it's gritty oh, whether yeah. it's you know whether it's hard to live by like if if everyone is if everyone around the players are rich and noble and there's only a few people who aren't well to do that kind of gives them a feeling for where they are in the world, mm-hmm. you know, or where this setting is. Whereas if it's really grungy, everyone's wearing, you know, rags and only a few people have well-to-do vests or anything like that. And those people are the, you know, underworld bosses. Okay. Now you've got a totally different feel yeah. of, of where things are coming from. Yeah. It's, it's, it's difficult to like, you know, continue a theme of like, uh, you know, dark fantasy, gritty realism sort of thing, you know, where, uh, you know, ultra grim dark. If if you've got someone who's like bright and cheerful, like every all of your NPCs are going to need to wear that same personality right. to further that theme. Yeah. And the more people who are like, you know, I killed my own parents and took over their shop. We want to buy something. Like, oh, oh, okay, yeah. This is a this is a bad place to be because yeah. it's a grim fantasy. It's everywhere's a bad place to be. You know, right, right. Whereas if you've got a bunch of people all vying for uh, superiority in an area where, you know, they're all sitting at the top of the scale and the only way, you know, money obviously doesn't mean much status or reputation or connections mean everything. Mm -hmm. Now you've got, you know, you've got all different kinds of power plays that are going on and it comes down to less about who they are and more about what they do. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that again is another aspect of NPCs and how they make the fi- the, the the group feel like they're somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this all sounds like a lot. It does. It really does. <laughs> so, um, the obvious question I'm sure on the, uh, the 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 tip of everyone's brains is: Do I need to write background stories, backstories for every single NPC now? A- answer is no. No, absolutely not. Take 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 a deep breath. It's not at all what we're saying. Um, this is more about ascribing a few quick attributes to mm-hmm. some NPCs um, so that when they come up in your story, you have a few more notes on how you improv them. Yeah. You know, not necessarily scripting out lines or scenes or anything like that for them or writing 10 page backstories, but definitely like, do not do that. Th- this guy's a rich dude, bro, who doesn't care about, you know, who, who's a thrill seeker. That's a great start point is, is a great starting point. Like literally just jot that one line down next to your NPC's name, race mm-hmm. and gender and go from there. And then when they when they meet him, you've got that little note there next to him and you kind of know, OK, he's a bit of a thrill seeker. This one guy's got a gigantic sword like, oh, dude, that's a cool sword. Can I see it? And already you've got more than just, hello, I am an NPC. Please follow me. You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and the other thing is, is that when you're thinking about your NPCs, there are NPCs that are literally just setting. They're not in focus. Mm-hmm. They're the mob in the town. They're the, you know, the other people behind the NPC who are also holding torches and pitchforks going yay or nay or whatever, you know, but they are, they are not an active part of the scene. They are out of focus. Right. And you don't need to throw any energy into any of those extras or anything nope. like that. They are, dis- they are a brief description to get to, of the setting and feel of the space. In fact, I, I think, I think half of the point of this particular episode is knowing where to stop. Yes. Um, is, is, 
giving you the shortest amount of time you can spend on an NPC to make them flavorful, yep. but not overdoing it so that you don't have to spend hours upon hours upon days prepping. Right. You know? uh, there's nothing wrong with a meat and potatoes game where the players are just moving through the meal. Mm-hmm. When you add a little sprig of something or a little bit of salt or a little bit of pepper and and put that that bit that touch of npc in there that gives it a little bit of flavor they'll notice it mm-hmm. but the moment that you start worrying about whether or not you need caramelized onions or you know capers on the side or whatever blue cheese exa- crumbles exactly like th- you can get to that level but at a certain point you can also just screw up the entire meal because none of it is actually finished. Yeah, yeah. You you start risking um, distracting from things. Yeah, and... the steak didn't get cooked. The potatoes are still hard because you never got through them. But you got capers. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and and the I would say the other the other major pitfall too of overdoing your NPCs is that um, your PCs start feeling like you're a one person show. Just mm-hmm. like do, do you and your NPCs need a moment alone? Will oh, you God. talk to yourself in three different voices? So, I'll just be over here. You know? So many, so many people have done that wrong. I have failed into a few conversations that way to try and get a point across and mm-hmm. lost myself in it. So we all have those. We yeah, all have yeah, those. yeah, absolutely. I think we've we've all had those moments definitely. But, uh, so th- there are a lot of NPCs in our world to make them feel lived in, especially if we've got any sort of an urban setting. You know, agreed, agreed. Uh, how do you keep track of them all? Well. There are really two types, so uh-huh. let's start with that. Okay. You've got your static NPCs and your floating NPCs. Okay. I'll go with static. Sure. So static are your named important people. So these are going to be directly interacted by with the players in, in a very active way. They're going to be the captain of the town guard that they meet, or the noble who's hiring them to do whatever they're doing, or the Johnson in the case of Shadowrun mm-hmm. uh, that mm-hmm. they're interacting with. Um, they are going to support the characters in some way. Now, it doesn't mean that they're not antagonists. They, they still could be in some way antagonists. Sure, sure. But either way, they're supporting the story and the player's interaction with the story. Right. These are, these are people you've given names to. They have a static place in your plot. Correct. Is why they're called static NPCs. Mm-hmm. Because you you say, like, this person deliberately is this name, mm-hmm. this place, mm-hmm. has this job in the story to tell. Yeah. So, uh, good examples of that, um, that you would find is uh, anytime you're playing a RPG, digital RPG, mm-hmm. and there is a quest giver that you yeah. can return to again and again. That is a static NPC. You know where they're going to be. They are part of the story. They may move with you along the story, like, I'll see you in the next town, or, sure. you know, I'll be getting the ship, and then you get to the ship, and they're there waiting for yeah, you. St- yeah, you know? static, static doesn't mean that they're, that they're physically locked Correct. in a location. It just means that they're, they're not, um, that, that they're written into a specific place in the story. Correct. Uh, a specific role in the narrative. Correct. Uh, now, it doesn't mean that they can't be replaced by someone who fills the role again. Oh, sure, sure. Um, and there are effectively five or six of those roles in writing, but um, but always remember that these are going to be people who stick around. Yes. Uh, Knox actually says, uh, NPCs you'll probably return to. Oh, without a doubt. Absolutely. These, yep. are, these are the guys you're going to be seeing again. They're going to be you know, uh, uh, major players in your story. Right. And often they will lead you to the next player who's going to replace them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in, in many cases. But you know, if you've got like a, it may not even be like a major important person in the story. Like, um, uh, for people familiar with uh, critical role, especially campaign one, uh, Sean Gilmore. 
Okay. He was proprietor of Gilmore's Glorious Goods, a magic shop. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. And that's, right. that's all he was. He was just a he was just a shopkeeper, but the 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 party kind of glomped onto him and and he became they made him a lot more than he was ever meant to be. Well, again, that's part of listening to the players and seeing what they're enjoying about it. Well, right, but but the but but the point though is that um Gilmore was a static NPC. He Correct. was he had a name mm-hmm. written down, he had a personality, he mm-hmm. had a shop name, he had a place he did business out of. Boom. That's a static NPC. Yep. You know. Um, so then the other type of NPCs you've got are floating NPCs. Mm-hmm. Now, these are uh, – it's good to have a bucket of random NPCs, and these are what your floating NPCs are, okay? Yes. So when you say two guards run into the room and your party says, whoa, hey, sorry, there's been a big misunderstanding. Look, what's your name? And now you're like, oh, shoot, I don't have names for this guy. I just said two guards run into the room to stop you guys from all the tomfoolery you were doing. Right. Now i got to have names for these guys. Now you want to talk to them. Now i got to have personalities. This is where your floating NPCs come in. Yep. You said two guards. Now you need two guards to be two real, actual people. Yep. So you reach into your bucket of NPCs and you say, this one is John and this one is William. Yeah. Uh, John has a scar across his left eye and William keeps picking his nose. Yep. Yep. And, and you go from there. Yep. Now, where did, were these guys, John and William a moment ago? No. But what you have is a list off on your side somewhere mm-hmm. that just says, John, scar on face. William picks nose. Yep. Some people tend to do the, uh, automated ones where it's literally just, you, on the, you, you hit a website, you hit generate. Mm-hmm. It immediately generates you a name and a a, a quick antic. Absolutely that valid. That works just as well. And Absolutely valid. I 100% just remember to copy that stuff down because if you want to reinsert them later, yeah. As you know, maybe the players like him, maybe they do something for him. Mm-hmm. It's always nice to bring that person back around, even in a simple form. Yeah, absolutely. Like you see a guard and a, the glint off the light shows a scar under his eye. Hey, that's John. Is that John? Yeah. Oh shit. Where's <laughs> Where's uh Where's William? Oh, uh, William's over here, and you see you know a guard walking up, and he's got his hand shoved Shup. up under the visor of his yep. helmet. Yep, and you're like, oh yeah, is. that's that's William. You know? <laughs> Good old William Halffinger. <laughs> <laughs> William Goblin Hunter. That's right. Ooh, nice, nice, nice. But again, that's and that's where we're. Uh, that's what all we're saying is is that you prepare, you be prepared to drop a name and and an affectation. We'll get into how deep those affectations go, mm-hmm. but those are the two things. Uh, now, I personally like to do a little bit of a, of a blended approach. Yes. Um, I, I absolutely have my floating NPCs, um, but I like to keep a, uh, a small contained list of floating NPCs, I suppose, yeah. with um, uh, sh- like a little more, almost, almost like a combined between floating and, and static. You prepare so for static. What I'll what I'll do is I'll have my my same bucket of NPCs, but it'll be per organization. Mm-hmm. So like uh, I have four thieves guild members mm-hmm. written down, and I've got a name, a race, and roughly their job. Right. I don't have a personality for them or anything like that. But if you guys like, if you guys run into the thieves guild, I know that uh, you know. That's this person and this person and this person uh, you you may run into, you know. Uh, those are all randomly pulled off of a list. I've got a spreadsheet that randomizes um, races and uh, and genders. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I literally, like, when I need four of them, I just hit randomize on the spreadsheet and grab the first four cells. Mm-hmm. And then just paste them into my notes. There you go. And then I just... 
there's a um, uh, a lore wiki for Elder Scrolls on uh, Elder Scrolls in general. Yes, and I go to that race's lore page, and they've got a list of names. There you go uh, for NPCs for both male and female. And yep. that's good for your setting. Yeah. I mean, uh, I. I'll let you keep keep going with what you, what you what you finish up, and I'll do mine. Uh, so, anyways, yeah, like I said, it's it's basically just three three to five. You know, like I've got a couple. Uh, I, I typically have a couple town guard, a couple fighters guild, a couple mages guild, the thieves guild, um, an innkeeper, a couple shopkeepers, um, and a couple important people like the ruling noble, who would be a static NPC, mm-hmm. um, and some of their advisors. Sure. So uh, that that's about like twelve people, fifteen people all total. Mm-hmm. And again, all I have is like name, race, and uh, and uh, gender. Yep. And uh, at that point, like, I don't know if you, I'm gonna put any more effort into that until you guys run into them. You know. Right. Right. But you're but you can grab from other places to fill in the gaps. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. I'm a little different than that because a lot of my adventures tend to move from place to place. When I'm doing Seven C, it's a little closer to that. Um, but I kind of make a rule that I will never have more than five static NPCs within an act or or section of my story. Um, so if they're in a, if you guys are in a particular area or I'm working through something smaller. I will make sure that I keep my static NPCs tight to five. Mm-hmm. Now I may have some floating NPCs that you guys remember the names of, but they're they're not nearly as important people. They're going to come and go. Yeah, floating um, NPCs never and, are and, because yeah. they're 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 random on the spot. But I'll have them I'll have them prepared, ready to go. Mm-hmm. Where these are people who you're going to run across. Um, and then I have a very very short list that I I have fudge ready to go. Whether it's you know I need three orcs, I need two humans, I need whatever, yes. and they will literally fill any gap. Yes, whatever comes up. Yes. Um, for me, if uh you have a floating NPC that's now attached to the group for whatever reason, you know maybe they got you know interested in it now i have pre-prepared for that person some quirks and things that i can start throwing in Mm -hmm. um so that i can have those around um but i always make sure that all of my npcs are interesting and that's why i do the presets is because i can do the rule of three for myself Mm -hmm. where i will always give them three qualities yes um and I, I don't put name down as one of my qualities, but that's me. We're going to get to our, our quick yeah, stuff name, in a little names, bit. Name's an attribute. Yeah, but quality. I always do three qualities on those. And those qualities could be any number of things, but we'll talk about qualities in a second. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get into those too much. Um, but then for my static ones, I add three more to them. So they'll always be a little bit more blo- blown out. Right, those. right, 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 right. Um, but one of the things that I do with my NPCs that helps me identify my static ones even better is I make sure that I know their role in my story. Mm-hmm. I will always add to them whether they're the advisor, whether they're the uh, adversary, whether they're the comedian, whether they're the helper, whether they're the truthsayer, or whether they're the opposition. Mm-hmm. And those kind of immediately give me the story that that the part of the plot that they're attached to. So if I know that this person, even though they have a role in the town and things like that, but as far as my story goes, they will always be the advisor to the group, telling mm-hmm. them, you know, you might got you know about this, right? You might want to go look into this. Right, right, right. And that role will always be that person until you move to the next act, and then I have a new person for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say things like adversary versus opposition, I'm I'm talking to the fact that these aren't primary antagonists. These aren't people who are trying to stop you in the story. Oh, sure. But they are going to be adversarial 
or in opposition to what you want to do sure. a little bit. Um, and that's natural. And I don't always use those. And sometimes I'll have both. And sometimes I'll have neither. It's that, 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 that big divider between an antagonist and a villain. Correct. A villain is a bad guy. An antagonist is just someone who's working against your goals. Right. Or or the goal that they think you're working toward. It doesn't matter. They're, yeah. they're working countercurrent to your goals. Um, I like you know, I like comedian characters. They're 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 the comedy relief that comes in at the right time, mm-hmm. or or does it? They might do help. They might do harm. You never know. But they're going to fit there. And then I have a helper character, and those helper characters are always there to give us. They'll give you lodging. They'll help you with food. They'll fill. They'll fulfill the small gaps uh, that to help facilitate the players to get further ahead. Yeah, yeah. And I, then go ahead. I don't. I don't. I don't put them in such explicit categories but i'm kind of going through my own npc list in you my brain it. and i'm going like oh yeah no, i know i do this right but i do it and i always bold them for bold uh-huh. that part first so that i can always say shoot i need to give these people advice at yeah. this scene something yeah. shifted i need this person to come into the scene this is actually this is really good advice i shouldn't shoot I'm, i might start doing that. <laughs> like, well and then i i always have a yoda character uh-huh. and I, I i it's my truth sayer yoda character in uh in writing um or and you find it more in in video games is there's always going to be a character who is going to dole out the truth is but this car in our current in our current situation yes okay okay i'm, um, so, I'm trying to i'm trying to yep. think of, of of your game yep. and and who that npc is yeah. and there's she's a, uh... actually dual rolling a little bit because mm-hmm. she moves between all, being the truth here and being the helper uh, to n- fill in the gaps nice orc lady that is giving us lodging yep. in the orc lands right in, in now, fact family and... of one of the characters but like way down the line yeah um but sweet uh, sweet woman she's like you you need to eat more you're too skinny exactly uh, sort of sort of woman um but she may not the the truth sayers always are are the same which is that you will always get truth from them it may not come in the form that you're expecting it may not be the complete truth but it is the truth that you need to hear yeah yeah, yeah. um for that for that uh, for the scene to be able to continue so that you know this is honest you know where you're going to go you know uh, and that person if you continue applying them and you continue working with them will always make sure that you're getting the truth to be able to move forward mm-hmm. the 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 advisor will always advise you their advice may not be the truth but it is the advice of where you should be going you can always yeah. go back to that person and be like so what's going on and the person's like well there's a lot of spiders that have been coming out of these caves and fighting the the you know fighting the guards oh we're going to go after those spiders great is it where the plot needs to go yes is it where you really should be going as a, that character maybe not Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. but you'll go find truth and find plot by following the advisor's advice. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. So that's that's my way of doing it. But then when we start stepping into individualizing those, going with the static and even um, the um, a little bit about your floating. Yeah, yeah you're floating. Um, you have to give them at least three things. Oh yeah, yeah. Names. First off, names. names. Give them a name. Give Always name. give them a name. Um, even even if your players never ask, you at least know their name because it says a little bit about the character. Um, it's it seems obvious. Yep. This one seems so obvious, but it is more complex than you think. Yes. Um, because first off, like there's a big difference between Alex, mm-hmm. Alexander, mm-hmm. and Xander. Yes. One's pretty normal. One's a little formal. One's a little informal. Yes. You know. Um, um, names also have a lot of cultural and class significance. So you can say a lot about your NPC by their name. Yeah. So like, for instance, in Elder Scrolls, you know, a character named Kazika is probably a Khajiit, whereas Hassan al-Sharif is probably a Redguard. 
Yeah, you know. I mean, if you're familiar with those things, no, no different than if you know the. Uh, you don't necessarily have to give out full names either. Mm-hmm. Like Don Corleone is a name. Yeah, you you don't need to know that his first name is Ted. Right, right. His He's first, the Don. He is not. That is not sure for Donald. Right. <laughs> Don, Don is a position. Right. It's so, a very important one. And that's that's the whole thing is is that you can also do the same with your. Uh, with people who they're going, you know, you're floating people mm-hmm. who they're going to have a quick moment with. And one of the things that I learned about this was, uh, you know, Ted, the blacksmith mm-hmm. is fine. That's a great floating person. No big deal. Yeah. You know what's going on there. On the other hand, if you have master sergeant at arms, William DeCathor, and you're like, okay, he's a static. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he like, has meaning. How many titles does this man have? Right, so Enough. <laughs> what you do is if you put the title before the name, mm-hmm. there's a solid, you're, you're, you're alerting the, the reader, or the listener in this case, that this is static and important. Yes. If yes. you flip it the other way around, it's probably going to be... This is Ted. He's the master sergeant at arms here. Oh, okay, he's Ted. Exactly. And yeah. so that way you're you're pre... You're, you're kind of giving your, your players a little bit of, of warning on how things to be understood. And it helps them understand the significance of the person. Oh, we need to go find the sergeant at arms. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. You can always refer to it as the sergeant at arms. They may not remember all of that. Yeah. Or, or even the end of the person, but they need to find the sergeant at arms. That's a great way of doing it. Now, I, I also find that names are a little bit of a double-edged sword. No joke. <laughs> no joke. Uh, because your simpler, more common names add a lot less flavor, but they are so much more memorable for your players. So, like, yeah. John and William are, are wayward guards. Yep. I guarantee, to the end of the damn campaign, your players will remember John and William. But Trail Guide Kazika, the Khajiit Scout, the, uh, that, that Khajiit Lady... The scout lady. Two minutes later, that Khajiit lady. Yeah. Here, I got a question for you. Do you remember the name of the two Justicars that you guys met and hung out with for a while at the be- at the very opening of the first act of my game? What? There were two Justicars. No. Yeah. I don't even know I was there for the first act of your game. Yeah. There's, uh, I, you you were there. One of, the, one of the main reasons why I find myself continuously lost in your game is because a lot of it is referential to stuff I was not present for. That's true. That is true. There was the, opening ga- the opening salvo you did miss out, uh, I would have to say, in probably like, about six or eight sessions. The, the whole Chaos Town of Madness uh, part where oh, you were geez. like, you remember this dungeon? No. 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 Yeah, no. this is the place where you guys did this? No. Nope. Nope. Wasn't here for that either. Yep. Yeah. Well, do, you, do you remember meeting this? Nope. nope. Do you remember when I said this? Nope. nope. No. That's well, okay, it's a dungeon. Trust me, it's significant. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where, meanwhile, like, Erica's losing her full mind. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my God, is this this place? And and Vicky's got a, a steel trap about stuff like that, but I'm willing yes. to bet if, if Vicky's listening right now, she's probably going, I remember their names. Yep. Because uh, yep. I, I, I purposely did a duo. Mm-hmm. I used a duo's name that was common. Okay. Um, I used Sam and Max. Oh yeah. yeah okay. 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 And uh, um, oh, I, I think I remember Erica and Rommel. Uh, yeah. Mentioning them. Yeah. And so I, I I penned them and reversed the roles a little bit from what Sam and Max actually are. Uh, but they were two uh Justicars, um, it, effectively uh, wizard uh like. Uh, Judge Dread Wizards, oh, effectively yeah. of their area, yeah. nicer, but that's that's the the, the equivocation of it, um, as best I can do. And so, uh, and they were like initial quest givers and plot rollers 
Yeah, there they are, Sam and Max. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice job, Max. Us, Salmon Max. <laughs> you know That's that cool would have been that would have been a really great way to go up, but no, I did not go that way. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, uh, if you guys are, if any of you are familiar, obviously Knox was familiar with it. Uh, there is a uh, a video game, uh, Sam and Max Hit the Road. Yeah, and uh, uh, Sam and Max are a duo of detectives, if mm-hmm. you will. Uh, one a very classic gumshoe. And the other very much not, very, yep. very, very much not, very cartoony, uh, rabbity, kind of crazy. He looks little, like a little ball of chaos, yeah. He is a little ball of chaos. Um, but uh, I did that on purpose, and I think one of the things you can do uh, with names is use names either that you've used before or that sound like things that they're already comfortable and familiar with, because it allows your players to then immediately attribute an image to what they're doing and yeah, a feeling. You did that in your 7C game. You had Captain Louis Vampa. Yep. Uh, who is ripped whole cloth from uh, Count of Monte Cristo. 100% whole cloth. But d- damned, we ever forgot that guy. Nope. Did not forget him. And and asked questions of how he was doing. Like, when you guys came back in the world, what are the first Where, questions? Where's Vampa? Where's Vampa? <laughs> uh, well, it's been 250 years, so uh, maybe his kids know yeah, <laughs> like yeah, where yeah, he's buried. Yeah. Uh, but... Like, it's moments like that. I have some reoccurring characters that I've used in other games, um, and uh, and it definitely, uh, when you bring those kind of elements back, or you bring in elements from TVs and TV shows, movies, things that people are comfortable with, mm-hmm. and trope it and, and use those names, people know what to expect. Like, you, if you say, uh, you know, uh, oh, you know, uh, a noble introduces his wife. Mm-hmm. at an event and it's clearly going to be a static pc and then you you, you immediately say uh yeah she's you know uh, uh you know the countess um uh eleanor uh de Boubier. and she goes oh just call me buffy you know exactly who buffy is mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what that's all about you already understand everything about it yep yep um nor different than if you you understand when someone you know has the name of like of uh, what was the other one that was a, a great example of it. Um, oh yeah, uh, Chadwick von Rankenstein. You can call me Chad. You know what to expect out of that dude. <laughs> he is a Chad. <laughs> He's so too. Chad. He's such a Chad. So and that's the thing is is that you can use that to your advantage as a storyteller yeah. to have your players attached to those things if they give your NPCs pet names. If they're naming your NPCs... Lean into it. Lean into that whole Lean cloth. into it, because they will remember that NPC, and trust me, that makes it so much easier. Yeah. Nothing hurts worse than when you you write up a really good static NPC, and people just forget about them instantly. Yep. No, it's true. It's true. It's very true. Uh, so, okay, next next so name, one is name. race, species, class, uh, or uh, culture, or subculture. Oh, I did want to add one more thing to that that I, I totally forgot to. Remember that your players aren't reading the same sheet that you're reading. Mm-hmm. So when you say a name, they're not. Some of them may not even write it down. Yeah. Um. So sometimes it's beneficial to actually have a name chart. Like, oh, if yeah. you've got static, if you've got static NPCs in a static town, there's nothing wrong with handing your players along with a map a little bit of a key. Yep. Like put it in the map where these people live. If it's important to a small town mm-hmm. or something like that, where you're staying within an area, give them the information. It will help them. Or, or, or not even. And you don't have to put it on a map. Like that's that's even that's even a step almost too far. Well, just no, just no, no, literally like, like a sheet of paper that just says, "This is the mayor of the town. Mm-hmm. This is the blacksmith. This yep. is the innkeeper." Yep. 
and this is the captain of the guard. You've met these people. You know who they are. Well, I, what I was saying was is if you've got like the generic map of the town that yeah, they yeah, look yeah. at, you could have the name of the shops and things like that, which include their names. Yeah, yeah, and that, yeah. That helps them remind. It gives them that it little does. extra. Sorry, it definitely does. Let's get back to race. Uh, so race, species, culture, subculture. Yes. Um, again, all seem like granted, but you can do a lot with these things, and it says a lot about the character. Um, so in settings where not everyone is human, it can be a huge cultural factor for how the NPC interacts. 100%. Uh, for instance, uh, again, back to my Elder Scrolls game, <laughs> Khajiit are not really terribly well looked upon outside of elsewhere. Yeah. Um, they're kind of seen as vagrants. Uh, a lot of times they're just seen as, as like... Uh, liars and thieves. Liars and thieves uh, involved in moon sugar, which is a drug. Yeah. Uh, they brew skooma. And, like, I mean, whether this is an upstanding citizen or not, there's always a little bit of cultural baggage that comes with being a Khajiit outside of elsewhere. Yep. Um, uh, and, you know, for, for modern contemporary settings, race can be a big indicator of culture and economic influences. Yeah. Um, I mean, ra- racial racial tensions, racial histories are a thing. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, if you're you know taking place in America, we've not always been nicest to a lot of our non-white cultures and such like that. And, no, not at all. Um, so I'm not I'm not saying like you know quote unquote every black person has to be poor or anything like that by any means. But if if an NPC does have a cultural background, you know, uh, like is African American or something like that, it may play into their um, into their position in society. Yeah. I mean, there's also to say that, you know, you don't necessarily have to even go racial. I mean, if if it is a if it's been a longstanding integrated culture, maybe even like like Shadowrun usually uh, Mm -hmm. leans into this a little bit, too. Um, Sometimes it's the culture or subculture. Maybe this group is on the other side of the tracks. Yeah. Or maybe this group has are the vagrants that have just moved in because they're all refugees. Uh, orcs and trolls are usually kind of pretty looked down upon and stuff like that mm-hmm. in in, uh, in Shadowrun, if I remember correctly. Yeah, um, most of the goblinoids in general. And yeah. uh, elves, elves on the other hand, are kind of seen as a little haughty and more upper class and stuff like that, and more more easily trusted. Um, uh, effectively, yeah, trusted is an interesting word there. Yeah, uh, okay, okay, maybe as far as trusted for a metahuman. Correct. Yeah, but I mean, uh, it's it's but again, that's it's all about the culture, like whether or not you're coming from the right area. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that has to do look with your look, your status, and your poise. Mm-hmm. Um, and all that can be delineated back out to your players in the same way. So remember that you don't necessarily have to lean into the hard race tropes if it's something that's not comfortable. You can go to cultural tropes. Right. Or you can go to subculture tropes. You know, we all know that in high school you had your cliques, you had your theater, you had your nerds, you had your jocks. Lean into those tropes just as easily. You have your fighters. You have your book nerds. You have your crafters. Mm -hmm. You have your entertainers. All of those are subcultures that you can lean into to make people different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. (laughs) I, I I kind of almost see the the, or the the mages guild in my game in those those terms like are 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 you an, are you a book mage or are you a fight mage <laughs> you know, like yeah. yeah Overwatch made the point uh, never trust an elf is one of the core rules of Shadowrun yes and yes. that's true and it's at the same time it's like that's why you said you know they're kind of trusted I'm like that's not the word uh, that you're thinking that it's for because yeah, you don't trust yeah. elves but at the same time you really can't deny the jobs from them. 
you don't you don't trust elves, <laughs> but you also don't question why an elf is driving his bends through your uh, through your through your gated community. That is exceptionally true. That's that is... what I'm saying. Okay, that's is, fair. That's is that fair. the elf isn't getting pulled over by the cops? You know, dri- no. driving while black. I mean, driving while orc. You know. Yeah, that's very different. That is very different. So, uh, so, um, so then the the third thing is a cork. Is a cork. Yeah. Yeah. Super easy. Yep. Um, and and these these you can have a lot of fun with. Yeah. Um. And and it doesn't need to be any like terribly complex or anything like nope. that. So like, a couple quick ones off the top of my head. Physical quirks. I named a couple earlier. Like scar across the face. Yep. Always picks his nose. Yep. Okay. Um. Snapping his fingers constantly. And uh. Uh. Sideways tilt to their head whenever they whenever they're thinking. Mm-hmm. Um. You know who does that is uh. uh he voiced Ultron. Um, James Spader. Yes, he does. He James always... Spader always turns his head. In fact, then when they mo-capped him, Ultron does that too. Yes. Um, chewing gum, mm-hmm. uh, a facial tick, you know, make your eye twitch or something like that if you get yep. upset about something. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, verbal quirks, using a tick, you know, or like all the time. Yep. Hey, you know, uh, you can, you can, you know, buy, uh, buy something from my shop, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, it goes along with accents too, but we'll get to that. Uh, higher, lower pitch. Mm-hmm. And accents. Yeah. Accents are, accents are probably your more common one. Like, you always think of accents when you're doing an NPC. Yep. Um, but... But there's a lot of other ways of adding character that aren't accents. Yeah, and one of the things that I'll lean into verbal with is verbal does not just have to be Semitic. It doesn't have to be that. Verbal can also be Italian, where you use your hands and you talk with your hands. <laughs> you know, and I, I, when you're in person role playing, it's a great thing to add into the to the the your own your own personal quirks into that NPC. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nox actually says, uh, Brad Pitt will always talk while eating in almost every movie. Oh yes. God. Absolutely. It's, oh, it's a character quirk. The yeah. other one that always gets me, and this, I love this quirk, and I, I, I want to say it because we have storytellers who are listening. Anytime that I've watched, uh, uh, sh- movie reviews and things like that, there's one particular thing that almost all reviewers bring up, and that is, is the guy who's eating an apple is an asshole. <laughs> every time. You can okay. count it out, like watch a show and wait for someone to pick up. And if they can hold the apple, that's fine. If they're carving the apple, whatever. But the moment they take a bite of it, like that guy's the jerk. That guy's the jerk. Okay, I will. So, keep, and I I'm will like, keep him, that keep is that a, mind. I have not realized how bad that is. True, it is. Huh. It is everywhere in culture. Wow. And I'm like, I have to start using that. I literally have to start using that. Yeah. Um. But that again, that's another kind of physical court or mm-hmm. a um. You did noteworthy uh, attributes, uh, physical stuff like uh, uh, scars and things like that. One of the things that I add on to that is clothing. Oh, yeah. Uh, There's nothing to say that you can't say, you know, um, presence when someone walks into a room is a big thing. Mm -hmm. The clicking of heels, the tapping of a cane Mm -hmm. or a rod as it's moving across stonework or something like that. Uh, The heavy uh, clotting of boots, the padding of feet, um, the clicking of nails, you know, or, or filing. That's a whole other thing that people do. File, mm-hmm. You know, just sit there and file their nails while they're while they're talking. Because clearly they're not paying attention to a damn thing you're saying. Oh, um, yeah. The other one that gets me is uh, glints of things or or robes. Um, some characters might have chimes that they wear, mm-hmm. or might have a, a vestigial, uh, you know, cuff that was from a shackle that they now have, you know, done up because they've never removed it. Maybe because they can't. Mm-hmm. You know, things like that are always. Um, are always a uh, a piece that adds to them. Um, 
Some people have a unique instrument that they carry with them or mm -hmm. a tool or a weapon or a shield. Um, and those add as much as they do for the players, NPCs just as much. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you're standing around in a, you know, your, your player's looking around for somebody in a very busy area and they're like, well, uh, you know, we, we need to find the captain. Look for a shield. You know, oh, you see a glint in the distance. There's um, one of my one of my favorite scenes from one of my favorite shows, Deep Space Nine. Um, and I want to say it was around season six or so. Um, the uh, the Cardassians, along with the Dominion, as they've teamed up, come and take back Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Because uh, it's an old Cardassian station. Yeah. You know, it used to belong to them. They want it back. So uh, Gul Dukat is in the the captain's, uh, the commander's office. Yeah. And um, he's like, ah, it's so good to be back in my office. And like, all of a sudden he just stops and kind of goes pale. And he looks down, and there's a baseball sitting on the desk. desk. And uh, you know, Com Captain Commander Sisko always had his baseball. He's a big baseball fan. They right. had several things about baseball cards and, right, right. and uh, holodeck episodes where they were playing baseball and stuff yeah. like that. Um, so it's a big aspect of his character. And he sees this baseball sitting on the desk. And he reaches down, and he picks it up, and he just looks at it. Like, it's got this extreme significance to it. Right. And you can just see his mind is racing. Right. And uh, Wei-Yoon, one of the uh, the Dominion uh, uh, ambassadors, looks at it, and he goes, what, what is it? He's never seen a baseball before, right, you know? Right, He's like, it's a message from Cisco. What, what does it mean? I don't understand. Yeah. He says he's trying to tell me he'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> He wouldn't have left, left his damn baseball there and then cut immediately to the Federation fleet. Like, you see the Defiant. And Leading. it's cruising along. No, it's cruising along. And then all of a sudden, it literally does a U-turn in space. Right. And flips up and around, and the camera kind of follows it up. And you see an entire Federation fleet, and it just merges with them. Right. And they just... 100% U-turn, and we are hauling it. We're going back. back. Yeah. yeah, I'm getting my baseball. <laughs> um, but, like, that moment, like, that cool moment doesn't start when you see the Federation fleet. Right. That cool moment sees when uh, starts when you see the baseball. Mm -hmm. Because you've got six seasons of knowing that Cisco is this big baseball fan. Yep. And wouldn't have left his favorite baseball behind on his desk. Right. You know? And when Gul Dukat looks at it and picks it up, you as the viewer already have all this this quirk built up with this NPC. Mm -hmm. You know the significance of that baseball that you're already feeling the same impact Gul Dukat is. Yeah. You're like, oh, snap, that's his baseball. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the same thing as like if we're watching Star Trek and you see a cup of tea that's hot on a table, you know the hand that's going to reach for that. Is Picard. It's Picard, yeah. And because that's T, Earl Grey. Earl Grey. Hot. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know what that is. Oh, speaking of which, is yeah. still, it's yes. a little bit warm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> We're sitting here sipping we, tea we, through the show. We have tea too. We have tea for the show. Uh, Rob but it's uh, absolutely wonderful, fragrant, fruity stuff. It's I do. It's it's pretty amazing stuff. Uh, it's a good black tea. But uh, and that's that's a thing is is that if you've got those types of quirks and you can put them in the game so that the character lives beyond the scene. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's some of the best stuff you can have. That is, those are some of the moments where your players are like, "Oh my gosh, you're really thinking." Yeah, and it's hard. It's hard to remember all these little things when you're on the fly, but when you can remember just one or two of them, it makes it makes those NPCs really noteworthy. Mm -hmm. So, speaking of noteworthy NPCs, the where, extras. Where do you go from here? Where do you step it on from there? Yeah, um, connections are great if you can make a connection between that NPC. On either another NPC or the characters, uh -huh. you're 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 doing great. Where they've either known them, or they they've you know 
I love having scenes where, especially in Seven C, where a character comes in and knows the player, knows that character, mm-hmm. like that NPC knows that character, and they're friends and they've got a long history. So I I always have a little bit of a problem with that. Okay. Um, and and, and I'll tell you why because unless you've actually got the history with it, right? It's difficult. You you need to be a little bit more experienced of a role player to just mm-hmm. be able to roll in and be like, you know, the storyteller just tell you an NPC that you Rob mm-hmm. have never met before. Mm-hmm. Me, the storyteller Sarah, tell you, oh, um, yeah, you you know this guy, you've you've hung out with him for four years, right? And then have you just go, oh, hey, how the hell are you, buddy? You know, and right. roll right into a friendship. But then you've got uh, a. Uh, you know, an expectation that you know this person, you got a familiarity, but you don't have inside jokes. You don't have experiences you shared with them. Right. You've literally got this exper- this, this NPC that Rob has just met, but Theodane has years of experience with. Right. So I usually play it up like the scene from Hunt for Red October mm-hmm. when they when they finally all meet in the sub in the Red October, and. They're all kind of quiet and staring at each other. They all know each other's names. They're they know dossiers. They've met each other. Yeah, yeah. But the yeah. one person who's physically met has the conversation, breaks the water, and he's just like Jack did, Ryan, yeah, talking to uh, to uh, Remus, Remus. Remus, yeah. And he they they speak together in Russian for just a brief moment, and he's like, "Have we met?" He goes, "I met you once at a party. I'm sorry for your wife." And that was all that it needed. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to have four years mm-hmm. to say that you have a connection with them. What you do have to have is your NPC has to know something specific about the player and be able to address it, or sorry, not the player, the character, mm-hmm. history, and be able to address it in a sincere and comfortable way so that you can break that connection. And at that point, you can start rebuilding the four years. That, yeah, yeah. that that they knew each other in passing. Again, it it doesn't have to be a solid, like bonded, you know, you know, warrior at your back in the trenches for four years. Mm-hmm. We watched football every Thursday night kind of relationship. Sure, sure, sure. But it can be the coffee guy on the corner that you've seen three times a week for five minutes. Yeah, you don't know anything about him, but yeah, I could probably ask him to borrow his lawnmower. Yeah, you know, yeah. kind of a thing, and those are the type. That's the kind of connection level that you have with a from an NPC to a PC, mm-hmm. and it's again, it's an acquired, active thing that you have to do. And I'm not saying this is an easy thing to do by any means, but with the right players who have backgrounds who have connectivity, you can get away with that, and the connection can start very sincerely and can get very deep, and your players can get very attached to those characters very quickly. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, I I like making uh, connections between two NPCs. That's always great. Um, That's always great be, because one of one of the main things this does for you is makes um makes it so that your NPCs are don't exist in a vacuum. Correct. Uh, so like perhaps your blacksmith as a rivalry with the other blacksmith mm-hmm. in town. Yep. And if you ever mention their name, we'll like grit their teeth and, you know, mm-hmm. like ah, mm-hmm. that guy, you know, uh, maybe the barmaid has a crush on the blacksmith. Sure. Uh, maybe there's and uh, you know, like maybe there's an ongoing argument about which sports team is better between the beat cop and the detective. 
I think that's a great way of doing it. You know, you introduce them by by them coming on scene and being like, "Hey, just see, you know, D- D- Detective uh, Smolovitz didn't uh, didn't see you here. Did you see the game last night? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got your ten bucks. Shut up. Yeah, you know, hope hope you choke on it. That's another thing that works really well for connections is is the common bet is yeah. a great connective tool for between characters that are that you have control over. It makes for small conversation that's quick and over. Sometimes not even conversation. Sometimes it's just a matter of a look. Oh, they both watch this thing happen, and this guy, you know, gets his comeuppance, and he just snaps his fingers, and the guy pulls out his his note that was in his pocket and hands it to him. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, I think he just made five bucks on that. <laughs> now, as we're talking about games, though, and I'll say why why stuff like this is important because. Uh, for like persuasion and stuff like that, for interacting with these NPCs, it gives you an in. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, it's not only realistic, but like if you've got a character that agrees that MSU is better than U of M, mm-hmm. you might get a small bonus to persuasion checks when dealing with the beat cop because he's he's an MSU fan. You know, yeah, you'd be like, yeah, U of U of M sucks, man. Go uh, go green, go white, like. Heck yeah, I like you already, you know? Well, you're okay by me. In the same regard, having that knowledge but not necessarily presenting it right up front, when the players attempt to do something with them and it either succeeds or fails, you can use that as a reference point. You can say, uh, you know, oh, you made a, a, you you got a, you know, 19 on your persuasion check for information. You know, as you guys are talking, he brings up the fact, you know, you notice a little bit of green and white Mm -hmm. uh, underneath his, uh, underneath his vest. And you're like, and you, you look up in the corner and can see that the game is playing in the background. Mm -hmm. You're like, you know, I'm I'm willing to bet they'll probably make it well past the fit, you know, past the half. I I think they're actually kind of go all the way. And he kind of glances at each other. Yeah. Yeah. I think they will too. Let's just sit down. We, I want to finish up the game anyways. Exactly. You, now you have your opening. Now, exactly. now you're at a comfortable position. And you've made that connection with the player uh, in a way that makes sense. And conversely, you may get... like, and, and, and I'm talking like if you're playing D&D 5th edition or something like that, like maybe a minus one or a plus one to your roll. I mean, right. I'm, I'm not talking like roll with advantage because suddenly you're an MSU fan. Right. You know, but... But you, it may actually work the exact opposite way. Now that you've exactly. taken sides in this argument about which sports team is better, there may be just a slight bias against you from yep. the detective. The, there's rules for that within the system that basically says, "Oh, now they've moved into a negative state. You've mm-hmm. failed your. So now, no, all you, anything you're going to be doing with them, they're going to be a little hesitant to do anything. Uh, like Bioware games do this a yep. lot too. You know, if you, yep. you if you side with one faction, you know, suddenly the other faction doesn't like you quite you as get much. Slipped. And it yeah. doesn't need to be anything major or dramatic, but no. sometimes, you know. Picking sides in an argument can can win you a friend, but lose you an you know, but, but also win you an enemy. Likewise, uh, if you move, you can easily move to um, a uh, a situation where the uh, players have goals or desires, um, or sorry, the NPCs have goals or desires, and what that then gives you the ability to do is legitimately work with them. So. If you, if your blacksmith has the desire that they want to, um, you know, uh, one up the other blacksmith, and you give them an opportunity to do that, whether or not the players recognize that's what they're doing, you know, that they're actually part of that situation. For instance, the players walk in and all they really want is to spend a bunch of money and make some awesome armor mm-hmm. for the for their their fighter. And suddenly the blacksmith goes from a situation of yeah, whatever. Wait a second. What do you want me to make? Uh we we need to make armor for the uh for the jousting tournament that our the knights going to be part of. Really? All right, I'm in. 
Like, is he gonna be? Uh, is he gonna be up against Count Rogan? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, probably in the second round. Oh, I'm gonna make you the best stuff. Yeah. This, yeah. Thing's, this thing's gonna shine so bright that everybody in the bleachers are gonna have to wear shades. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and that's and then you're like, okay, he's in for this for some reason. All right, but again, that shows motivation and drive. Yeah. And then if somebody's like, I'm gonna do an insight check on this. There are three other blacksmiths in town. Two of them just moved in, and one hasn't even fully set up yet. But his shop looks really well funded. You might think this is a rivalry. Oh, all right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and that's that's where things can shift really well with desires and goals. Um, and I, I think working with those is a great, great direction to go. Um, you can you can do a lot uh, mm-hmm. with desires and goals. Plus, it helps as they're being motivated and worked through. And it's, it's something else, something smaller that I work with that I like, but... Um, I'll, I'll come back to it. Yeah, uh, like uh, one of the one of the examples I came up with here was uh, like maybe the up the the alchemist's goal is just to upgrade his shop. Yeah, and like you may find this out just in the you know in the in the course of conversation. Now, the reason you want to specify this as a goal, I mean, maybe maybe the scene opens with just him like. You know that you walk in and he's not standing behind his counter just politely waiting for a for a customer to come in. He's he's got a measuring stick and he's measuring a bare wall mm-hmm. along the left side. You're like what? What's up, buddy? He's like, oh yeah, I'm just uh, we're gonna be putting in a new brewing stand, and I just I just want to make sure it'll fit here. You know, stuff like that we're moving up, we're moving, we're you know, we're 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 gonna make it, be making some improvements around this place. Oh yeah, make some improvements. Okay, you know, maybe they invest a little extra gold in him. Yeah, maybe next time they come through here because they've fed into his yep. goals and tried to further them, maybe he's got better potions for them. Yeah, or more more heal. Like, hey, you know, I could only make three healing potions for you last time, but now I've got ten. Yeah. Holy cow, dude. Well, yeah, it's all thanks to that new brewing stand. Doubled my efficiency. Yeah. And then the other one is, is you can also have fun scenes where, like, you you know, they walk into the, the a scroll master's house, an old mage mm-hmm. who's doing stuff, and everything's in chaos, but he's on one of the walls, like, you know, things are pushed to the side, and he's drawing what looks like a door there, and he's, like, carefully tracing it out on the floor. There's some markings for some other stuff, and you're like... Oh man, he must be doing some kind of weird sigil stuff. And no, no, he's preparing for the builders to come in. They're going to knock this They're into a knock door, that wall down. and yeah. this is going to be where his new staircase I, is going to be. Bought the place next door. We're yeah, expanding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, no, this the, the reason why this place looks like crap is because I'm moving. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a whole other thing. Is are they moving to a new place? Yeah, you know, and 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 dealing with something like that. One of the one of my favorite. Uh, Things that I read about was a guy who literally the town like he started the game off by explaining to all the players that the town was very active with funds. This was right after a a majorly positive event that occurred. And so there was a whole bunch of new people coming down, which included these players. And so there was, you know, new nobles who were showing up in town and Mm -hmm. people were sending them out for expeditions to find proper lands, clean out things. So all kinds of stuff was having towns. And he literally had it so that four out of the five shops were moving mm-hmm. from their shops. So when they walked in, like things were slowly changing until eventually one day they went to the shop and it wasn't there. It was something else. It was like a new bakery. They're like, like did they close? And they're like, the oh no, you should, you need to go, you need to go downtown. Downtown? There's, didn't you know the new downtown district? There's a downtown And you go yeah. and now there's a downtown district uh-huh. that's fully built out and they're like, oh, this is where all the stone was coming from. from the And literally yep. all of the little adventures that they went on to help people built the town. 
Yeah. And that's it, the guy basically Stardew Valleyed them. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. And he was yeah. just like, it was so easy to make adventures for you guys because I just was like, what am I going to need for this town? Oh, I could send in the quarry. Who would be doing that? Probably the mayor and a stone cutter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's somebody funding that. And so he would just, yeah, that's how he came up with everything. I make 99 staircases. Let's go. Yep. Uh, now, one other last thing about goals, too, um, is that everybody wants something. Yes. Okay. Uh, and finding and or providing that thing can turn even a hostile NPC into someone willing to listen to you. Yes. Um, so it's this is not just all about making friends and shopkeepers and stuff like that. Sometimes your big bad evil guy, if you can provide him something that he's truly looking for, uh, provided it is not the one MacGuffin he needs to end the world or whatever it is you're doing, uh yeah they they may either get off of your back or call a truce or yeah you know or or at least you know i'm gonna give you the respect of allowing you to walk out of here but next time i see you i'm gonna kill you you know it may even be that simple but making friends or making friends out of enemies albeit even temporarily can be a great reason to have goals attached to your uh to your, to your npcs I love when players take the time to do enough insight checks to discover those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you hear the moments of about players learning the loves, one of the perfect examples was Padre Inguis. Mm-hmm. I started him as an antagonist. He was going to be the opening gambit of the Inquisition entering into the town. Mm-hmm. And he was basically going to be the driving force. A young, a relatively young priest within the area, on an outside area, was going to be brought uh, brought up, you know, or, or should be uh, put to the tip of the spear of the Inquisition, because if he completed this task, he could become one of the, Inqui- you know, one of the Inquisition's, you know, chosen, and therefore he would have prestige and things like that. Yep. And so the idea of finding these people within this town meant something to him. And so, you know, he was now looking for it because there were all kinds of banditry and terrible things here, and sure. he was going to help save this town. And the players turned it around 100 Mm percent they found that he was a bit of a lover and easily bent that side of him far enough that he was like i can't possibly do this to these people and then he got buried within the action himself and now now he's stuck Mm -hmm. now he can't turn and became a totally different player yep so um one of the things that um, I wanted to talk about was in the motivations was not only what they're doing, what their motivations are as a global scale, but what are they doing today? Yeah. Like you were saying, he's chalking stuff out to figure out whether, you know, whether or not this stand is going to fit in this spot, you know, or maybe the blacksmith is working on a necklace for his daughter mm-hmm. or, or maybe the, you know, uh, the uh, baker or, or, you know, general provision store, him and his wife work together all the time and obviously can get pretty much whatever they want. It's their anniversary in three days and he is losing his mind on what he's going to get her mm-hmm. and he can't get out of the shop. She's the one who goes and does all the running around. So yeah. how does he going to figure that out? And these are going through their minds and are distracting them. It's the reason why they're not willing to work with the players or maybe they are. If they can just, you know, maybe the players can't come up with the money, but he's like, Okay, I really need something. You need something. I really need something. Come over here, and it's right. like you're like, okay, well, what is? What do we have to go steal? And you're like, 
You're I like, no, no, I don't, I don't need you to steal anything. Like, I need a nice necklace for my wife in three days. Yeah. I, like, I don't need, I don't care how you get it. Yeah. Like, I mean, I prefer it probably not stolen because I don't want any questions. You right, know, right. Like I don't that. want her walking around town and then, like, the countess to look at her and say, that's my locket. Right, 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 right. So, you know, I prefer it's legal or at least unclaimed treasure, you right. know, but, but like, I will give you that full plate half off. I swear to God, half, half off. off. If you can, if you can provide me a nice enough necklace in three days, yeah, and that that kind of stuff is gold, yeah. That that makes it active, and then three days later, you know, or two days later, you guys get back, or even a day later, you come back. He works on the the full plate, but within the time, like maybe you guys go to pick it up, and his wife is walking around with it on, and mm-hmm. she's glowing and happy, and everything's great, or worse, she doesn't like it at all, yeah, because it's you know she considers it hideous. You know, but that's all about movement and like everything else that goes with that. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of in along this uh, this sort of lines. Um, another great thing is uh, something they love or something they hate. Yes. It's again, it's a very small, very simple thing. But mm-hmm. like, does your alchemist have a collection of cat figurines on the shelf bef- behind them? <laughs> yes. And a cat walking around the shop. Mm-hmm. Does the corporate Miss Johnson uh, uh, beam with delight as she orders her favorite drink at the, de- the, the, the dingy bar you guys are in? You know, yep. does yep. she just absolutely slam down three? Uh, 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 what are those ginger beer? Uh, dark and stormies. Dark and stormies. Yeah, yep. she she slammed down three dark and stormies where and you're like, okay, well I know what we're buying her next time. You, you know, know? Uh, do they do they swish their cigarette on its long stick? You know, in front of your face. Those kinds of things. Um, the Khajiit nobleman unable to hide his look of disgust when you fail to remove your boots oh, from God. his home. You know, yeah. like, oh, you're tracking mud through here. Yeah. Well, you know the guy's a neat freak now. Yep. You know? Um, and so there's there's a, they're, they're a lot like goals and desires, but they're a lot more short-term, and they're not really e- easy to fulfill, necessarily. They're, mm-hmm. they're just environmental factors in their, in their likes and dislikes. Yeah. Um, and they again, they provide ins and outs. You know, if the party member may not remember the alchemist's name, but they sure as hell guarantee they'll remember the crazy cat lady alchemist. Mm-hmm. You know, and if next time they come in, they bring her a little, you know, cat. Figurine, figurine that they found or something like that she'd be like oh my god that's so sweet of you hey you know what i found some great potions you guys would love yes. let me get them from the back and you're yep. like oh wow yep. <laughs> like she's yep. gonna show us the private stock because we brought her a a, a a two copper ceramic cat figurine you know sometimes all it needs yeah um the other one for me is secrets what secrets do these people hold what what things do they know or secrets do they have Sometimes a secret can be as simple as they know about something else um, they that they they ran across, but they they hold it very dear, um, or a social connection they might have. Like maybe the maybe the barkeep really does know the prince, and when he got drunk the one night and was talking about it, he was legitimately talking about how him and the prince laughed together one night until two o'clock in the morning and drank in private because it was the one time that the prince felt like a commoner Mm -hmm. and they still have that connection but he can't talk about how he got the prince out you know so in his see that's his secret to know Mm -hmm. but these are things that you can eventually release and again they may not have anything to do with plot but they're very dear to these people yeah yeah you know secrets are something that is that are powerful but sometimes you want to but as i always say keep them very simple very very simple do not go crazy with secrets. again i mean we we've 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 talked a lot. In fact, we're over time now. We're well over um, time. Well over time. We still haven't done questions yet. Uh, but uh, but you know, keeping in mind all these things, I mean, it, we've talked a lot about this. But 
jotting down a note or two about your NPCs yep. to fill these things in, like, is really where you want to be. Yeah. And if you're if you're not good at accents, pick something else. Don't don't focus on the accents. Focus on something physical, or on or on the the words that they use. Uh, for instance, if they're poor, you know, don't use you know five dollar words. Use you know one dollar words or less, or yeah. cut down the number of words you even use. Mm-hmm. You know, yump to is a word. Yeah. In some in some places. Jeet jet. Exactly. Like add a little bit of of, of folksiness to it on that side. On the other side, you know, take the time to go buy. You know, what I like to say is go buy a couple five dollar words online, and and up your vocation a little bit for certain other mm-hmm. you know dialogues that you're going to have. You know. Uh, you know, when you're saying, when you're talking about, uh, you're talking to, to somebody else, use terms like juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're a little, if they're a, a scholared person, you know, uh, talk about, you know, you know, explain things in fortnights. Oh yeah, I, uh, uh, I, I did this uh, all the time. I, in fact, it, it Loki annoyed me a little bit yep. because I, I wrote out these. Um, several characters wrote letters back to yeah. the High Arcanist, Elore uh, uh, Stormherald, mm-hmm. uh, the, the the leader of the Mages Guild, to report in on what was going on in the Bandit plot. Yep. And she wrote back occasionally. Yep. And you guys were just like, I can't read this. Yeah. I handed you a letter, and like it was full of just like four syllable words, man. It was beautiful. <laughs> it was absolutely beautiful. The good news was though is that I read it out loud to all of and you I guys. And I loved every moment. And of I it. did it in a Lori Stormheld's uh, accent. So yes. you all got me to hear uh, uh you know the $10 words using a British accent like this. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful. You did it by the way, you just didn't recognize it. I did what? High Arcanist. High Arcanist. So static character. Oh yeah, High Arcanist Lori <laughs> Stormheld. That go. is that is her full title. That's right. Um now, speaking of accents, uh, one oh, of the yeah. things I wanted to bring up actually is uh, people are like, "Well, how do I how do I learn accents?" Oh, so that yeah. um, so uh, Liam O'Brien of Critical Role, um, as they are all voice actors and oftentimes do multiple different accents and such like that. Um, one episode uh, was asked about this and um, said that one of the places he goes is a place called International Dialects of English Archive. That's Idea. Yes. Is the, is yes. The, is the acronym for it. Um, and what it is, is it's a, um, it's a place where they've got basically a map and a bunch of pins all over it. And what you can do is you can click on any of those pins and it will read the exact same passage. It's a couple paragraphs Mm of, of text, um, in the accent that is regional to wherever on the map you've clicked. Yep. And it will read it in English because it's the English accents archive. Right. But if you if you want to know how to do, uh, you know, uh, 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 God, I can't do an Indian accent. I almost did an Indian accent. But like, you were trying. Um, I'll give you that. But yeah, if if you wanted to bust into an Indian accent or a Scandinavian accent or, yep. um, uh, you know, a, a, an Irish accent. I'm terrible at Irish accents. Everybody who um, is not Irish is terrible at Irish accents. But Rus- Russian accent, I can do. Da. Could- Di- this I can do. Yes. Um, yeah, Eastern European versus Greek versus Italian versus yeah. Spanish. But, you know, especially like for 7C games. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. The characters I'm allowed to play are all based on what accents I can pull off. <laughs> um, Standard rule. If you can pronounce Vestiment Havanyar. You can play you a can play Havanyar, Havanyar, yes. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations. You are now allowed um, to play them. But there are a lot. Uh, and Idea is certainly not the, the only place online to learn this. There are a lot of great resources on there for learning accents for uh budding voice actors and uh you know amateur storytellers such as ourselves yeah 
Um, if you find you're watching something, I find uh, a couple of people that I've got uh, talk about how, uh, on YouTube how to create accents. And they talk about the places in your mouth that you talk from, whether you talk through your nose, whether you talk uh, and, and, and put your tongue to the top of your mouth mm-hmm. to get a certain sound as you're saying things or move your tongue to the bottom of your mouth as you're saying things. Mm-hmm. You automatically change the position of the way your mouth looks, um, widening your lips, closing your lips together. Yeah. Um, little things like that are within their own right a way to change and accent things. So you don't necessarily have to try and mimic, but replicate what you're going to do again and again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really the key. And again, that's not for everybody. If accents are hard for you, don't do it. Work with words. If words are hard for you, talk about the descriptions and the way that they move and what they look like. Oh, but try and do at least three things. Yeah. yeah. For each, for all of your NPCs, six if you're really... If you're really feeling sassy and you want to make those static characters really shine. Yes, absolutely. So You want to move on to questions? I would love to. Alrighty. Uh, so let's stop at the bottom here. Uh, the Mad Elf. Uh, since you mentioned the Seven Dwarves method of NPC personality. Uh, yeah, I, I have. Uh, you definitely have. You didn't for, today, but... <laughs> I, I didn't today because we all kind of went over like uh, more specifics and such of that. But, but uh, it's the, good. The Seven Dwarves Method of NPC Personality I got from Telus and Jaffe, again, at the Critical Role yep. uh, staff. Um, and uh, it's basically you, you give you pick one of the seven dwarves and you give your NPC an mm-hmm. aspect of that personality. So, mm-hmm. like, um, you had a couple NPCs roll into town. Uh, one of them was, like, the guard, and I picked Sleepy for him. Mm-hmm. And so he was just exhausted from, yep. the, uh, from the thing. And literally, like, walked in, and while the mayor of the town was talking to you, he just fell asleep in a chair. Yep. Um, another one had caught a cold on the way there because I yep. got sneezy yep. Yep. for him. Um, but it was, it, again, made them memorable, you know, uh, and fleshed out the scene. So uh, you've mentioned the Seven Dwarves method of giving NPCs personality. What are some other quick and easy tools to bring what may be one-off character to life? So one of the things I used to do before before the days of the internet, um, when I was making characters uh, on the fly, is um, I would have... Um, I would just write a list of descriptors, mm-hmm. colors, and feelings. Mm-hmm. I would just have those three down and on, on a sheet next to me. And as I used them, I would cross them off. But what I would do is I would talk in the tone of the feeling. Mm-hmm. The color was always how they would react to things. So cool colors, hot colors, mm-hmm. um uh, warm colors, and then I would have the um, um, the descriptors being their demeanor, their outside facing. Yeah, yeah. And that yeah. was a quick way for me to do that. And that came from a old method of cartooning, mm-hmm. where you would look at a cartoon, or you'd look at how a cartoon was supposed to be done, like they would talk about as they were drawing through it, and then once it got its color palette, it would start. That would help the voice actors determine the color of the character. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And I was like, that's a really neat way of handling things. Yeah, it's pretty decent. How, like, Bugs Bunny got his voice, how some of the other things... So the next evolution to that for me was then starting to... It was the first cartoon character that I could think of. So I would use, like, use the Seven Dwarves. I would grab aspects of cartoon characters. I would have people stutter Mm -hmm. if they were the aggressive person. Because you have Yosemite Sam... Foghorn Leghorn, 
Like all of these know-it-alls, yeah, yeah, who yeah. are gonna t- 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 teach you something. something you're gonna learn, boy. Mm-hmm. And that immediately, if anyone's watching cartoons, you know the feeling of that character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, immediately, and you know, it's it's a trope methodology, but mm-hmm. cartoons are a great way to do it if you've got it in your mind frame. Yeah, yeah now yeah. we have a lot more resources to it, but that's a quick and easy tool for me is I can always go back to cartoons, my, my childhood cartoons and grab an aspect of a character very quickly. Yeah. Uh, Knox says heroes in primary colors, mostly villains in greens, blues, purples, etc. Uh, yeah, I think it's yeah. kind of where you get your, your quote unquote four color superhero too. Yeah, very much so. Um, is, uh, is where that, where that turn of phrase comes from. Yeah. Um, the, the only, the only other real, like, um, quick and easy, uh, access of personality sort of thing that I've, uh, that I've used is, um, uh, just, just quickly plot them somewhere on the axis between, um, uh, happy, sad, angry, or shy. Yeah. Uh, and put, point them in one of those directions and uh, you'll you'll have at least a personality quirk to go off of. Yep. Yep. That's a great way of doing it. Um, all right. So Overwatch asks, sometimes NPCs really bite and the players take them, uh, take the take to them like they are the focus of the campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe put them through college. Yeah. Uh, have you noticed any rhyme or reason to this? Are there any commonalities in your experience that make up one of those NPCs? Uh, the players just refuse to let go of what's the secret sauce. So for me, and I, I really had to think about this one cause I, I didn't, I don't dissect it nearly enough as much as we should. Um, because it does have that like Padre and Greece was definitely one of those characters. Um, there's been a few others in, in other games. That's the biggest one that I have. And I think what it comes down to is the energy that you put forth as the storyteller. If, it's a good day for you. Oftentimes, it's one of your first ones that you roll out mm-hmm. for the day, and uh, or and I say for the the day, I mean the session. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're you're vibrant. They're in the right mood for it, and things just click in the conversation and social aspects of it. And sometimes that's all it takes is just to have a good social rapport that goes across. But some of it is is just random. Sometimes it's just the players are in the mood to be playful. And they choose this thing to play with it, or it reminds them of something. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would kind of agree with your assessment that uh, that that it's definitely what you bring to the table, not mm-hmm. necessarily who the NPC is. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure you could deliberately write one of these NPCs. I I th- I, I would say you could. But I think it would take a lot of examination of the players. Yeah, it'd take a lot of fishing. You'd, you'd you'd have to do a lot of examination of the players and a lot of examination of the the story. Yeah, you'd really have to really have to bait the hook for it. Really yeah. have to stack the deck to, to yeah, and to then get it play it very lightly. Yes. So because it would be obvious. Yeah, and and I I think a lot of it too is just like uh, uh, the the sort of like oddness, quirky, you know, unique uniqueness to them you know mm-hmm. uh like you know you may you may just have like a goblin merchant or something like that and you may just be even be like oh uh i didn't come up with the name he's boblin the goblin and like all of a sudden boblin is just the greatest yep. greatest npc they've ever met and yep. they just want to adopt him and make him the mascot and you're like oh god guys he's just literally a throwaway npc please stop you know mm-hmm. I, again i don't think you can make it happen i think it's just they have to be cute and unique in some way and mm-hmm. 
uh, the players have to see something likable and redeemable in them. No, I agree 100%. 100%. But I think it's more important than trying to figure out how to do that, listening for that energy to come back at you, to feel to feel when your players are leaning into something mm-hmm. and be prepared to do something different with that as time goes on. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't force it. Let that situation roll. Yeah. All right. One uh, more? Yep. Next, last one is uh, Knox on the Box. Uh, do you ever make a Rolodex of generic, possibly nameless backup <laughs> characters that you can keep uh, at the ready and cast them into your story whenever you encounter a role or opportunity that might fill the personalities you've made for them? Yes. Do you feel that making these random personalities for fun might be a good way to flesh out and provide uh, and provide ideas for other more important characters that you've just made? Without a doubt. Without yeah. a doubt, I you, you actually you submitted a character to one such Rolodex. I technically submitted three. Okay, okay, two okay, was yep. a, because I submitted Padre and Guise uh-huh. as one of my characters. Seven uh, C um, forum on Reddit. Didn't you submit my character, Madeline the Bloody? No, I submitted uh, Lyra and Cassia. Oh, Lyra and Cassia. That's right. That's right. That's uh, but right. I submitted them as Seven C characters, the lucky ladies, yeah, the lucky ladies, and reversed their roles uh-huh. of who they were just just to, to have some fun with it. Um, but I submitted both of those, and I think out of that was uh, it was fifty NPC or twenty twenty um, uh, twenty opening people. It was mm-hmm. effectively what it was, is 20 introductions. Yeah. And it, it basically just gave you, an as a storyteller, an introduction to 20 different people who could give you quests. It wasn't the quests. It was their stories, who they were. Mm-hmm. After that, it's up to you. And I love that kind of stuff. I think that's fantastic help. Because then you have something where you're like, I need a static NPC, but I don't have any good ideas. There are ideas. There are tons of ideas out there, and and yeah. yes, yeah, they're absolutely. Uh, creating your own Rolodex, mm-hmm. or there are there are others that are shared out there amongst uh, amongst other storytellers on the internet. So, one hundred percent is absolutely a thing, and it's a great thing. And yeah, I, I absolutely do think that making these random personalities is a great way to flesh out other ideas. Um, I actually did that pretty heavily with my own NPCs in my uh, the the Mages and Fighters Guild in my game. No, that's I think where, you did a great job of that. That's where Lyra and Cassia came from. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, we played those as alternate characters for a three-game for a three game one-shot. Yep, yep. So. 100%. Um, so we had a, I, I literally rolled this for a minute here so we can talk about this. So next week, we're actually going to do role-playing 102 because we did 101. Yeah. Now we're doing 102. What is this, how can a storyteller help promote role-playing? Yes. Um, so we're going beyond asking the players to kind of step up and do their things. We're going to now take it from our aspect of what can we do behind the screen to get our players to start role-playing yeah. um, and, and just I, encourage it. We're think, not enforcing it, but we're encouraging. I think a bit, too, about what, what players can do to lean into that, though, too, and also encourage the role-play at the Well, at the I would well. say when uh, be prepared for the hooks when your, role, when your storyteller yeah. presents those hooks to you. Be hookable. Exactly. So you can find us on Twitter at st underscore conclave on instagram at st underscore conclave on mixlr on wednesday nights when uh, we're recording at 7 p.m eastern standard time at mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave and on discord you can find our link in our twitter or on our webpage at uh, storytellerconclave.com 
I want to thank our uh, Patreon members, Knox in the Box, Sam, Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Vedran, Hulavu. Thank you so much for uh, for supporting us week after week. We love you so much. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Gee Frog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music, which you're hearing now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find her at Free Music Archive. We'd like to thank our families, uh, Vicky and Sean, for supporting us through all these shows. All of our friends who have helped us uh, over the years with our campaigns and our stories. And our listeners, you. We love you and thank you ever so much. We love you so much. Good night. Good night.